If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk TNT Radio. We are back for hour number two of the Charlie Robinson Show. If you want to connect with me, the email is charlierobinson at tntradio.live. You can follow me on Twitter at macroaggressions, or you can go to my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. We're going to take a little detour from the geopolitics and stress and education system and we're going to pivot to a little bit more of i love this stuff by the way we're about to get a little weird but allow me to get weird with you so ladies and gentlemen without further ado zorananda let's talk about soul evolution baby i'm so excited nice to meet you you've been yeah, on, nice to uh, meet you with, man you've been on with all my friends sam tripley tinfoil hat all the guys over there and i think that given this current crazy environment that we are in, that it is, look, I've got a PhD in complaining about this stuff. Okay. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at it, but if it's just complaining without any sort of solutions, then it feels kind of hollow. And one of the things that I really think that we need to be better at as a society is taking some responsibility for ourselves, taking some responsibility for our physical health, but also our mental health. I think it goes without saying that we are in the middle of a mental health crisis in the States. And, and I went through this several years ago. I was at a very, you know, I was at a pivotal point in my life and I felt like I needed to mix things up. I felt like I was physically fit, but I was mentally slipping a little bit. And I wound up sign going through a four-day transcendental meditation course with a TM teacher, and I really and I really it hit me at the right time. It got me it got me sort of centered. And 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 look, I know there's different types of meditations, and and I'm not sure which one is 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 the right one for everybody. But at the time I went through this, it was very helpful to me. It really sort of cut out a lot of the nonsense chatter the internal monologue the not not the not the good internal monologue but the 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 self sabotage internal monologue that was happening and i you know i'd always kind of thought oh those meditators they're sort of like you know twirling in the parking lot of a grateful dead concert or something like that and and i was a little dismissive of it but but it was very beneficial and very helpful to me and that's your area of expertise. Is there help for this for the world in general in America in particular? Is this is the solution to our mental health crisis to to get ourselves maybe a little bit more aligned with some meditative practices? Uh, that's a tricky question because there's a lot of people, right? And so, say for America, there's what now 350 million people. And so what I consider for myself individually as a person is the long game of it. And so I think what's happening in our world is there's a growing hyper-focus on right now and the short term of things, right? So if someone wants to take on meditation, it's because in the short term, they need to deal with something that they can't cope with right now. And so people are looking for 
um, all these different methods to deal with something uh, in the moment, which is obviously fine. Um, however, in order to have a resolve when it comes to, um, say, the quality of our thoughts or the quality of our lifestyle, we have to then look at how adopting something like meditation or adopting something like spirituality or yoga is going to pan out in the long term. And I think at then there's an ease that's brought about the experience of it. Because if you're the type of person where you're just impatient, and I think a lot of people just generally are impatient, that they're going to try it for a few days, maybe a couple months, maybe even to the extent of a year, but they're going to try to draw the value of it um, in a way where they want results as fast as possible. And that's just a conditioning that we all go through living in the Western world. We want to make fast money. We want fast food. We want everything fast. We want our entertainment fast. We want to get it now. We don't want any delay anymore. Because think about how the world was 20, even 30 years ago. Like I'm 36 years old. And so I remember what it was like in the 90s when there were no cell phones, when cars were buckets, you know, like, and the pace of the world was just slower to fast forward to now where we have um, this huge advancement of technology. We have these phones that connect us to everything. So now everything is at this heightened state of basically anxiety. And so it really comes down to you're adopting a lifestyle change and you're adopting tools that are going to help you in the long run. So you have to see it then like, okay, if I'm going to take on a meditation practice, First, I'm going to find which school of thought is going to fit me. So like your example with TM, Transcendental Meditation, um, you got to see it as the start of a journey. TM might not be the end point, right? TM is the initiator. It gets you into it. And then you kind of have to see how you grow through it. Okay, TM, you know, maybe doesn't work anymore. That doesn't mean that you drop it that you go through now the growth of this journey of finding what it really means to meditate and what you're actually doing. And so it's an educational process, just like if you're going to put a toddler into, you know, elementary school, um, unless you're moving every year, right? Because of life situations, you typically want to keep that kid in school you're not the kid's not just going to be like well i hate this now so i'm going to leave you know the whole point of the education is to continue the education and to grow through it for its benefits so it's really no different if you're going to take on meditation you want to grow through it for its benefits yeah yeah that's a yeah. that's a that's a that's a good way of looking at it this is it there's no finish line right i mean you sort of we're always learning right we're always evolving uh the TM worked really well for me for a very long time. And, and, um, and, and maybe there's a, maybe there's, there's something else out there for me. But one thing I know for sure is that, um, we're, you're, you're right. We are moving at a fast pace. We're moving at a pace. I think that's, it's maybe a little unsustainable and 
it's reflective in the fact that we're having a mental health crisis with a lot of kids. And I, I don't think that social media is helpful at all. I think that that is really messing with people. Not just that, obviously, the technology of the phones. If you were going to instruct somebody to, to if you were going to give somebody some practical ideas or like, where do we even start with something like this? Where, where would what would you tell people to to get rid of or or minimize or add to their lives that might just sort of take them out of the rat race for at least a, a little while so that they can get their bearings and maybe find their footing and and get into something like meditation. So that's a tricky one because um, the phone that we have and the like social media and that um, outlet is now highly addictive, right? So um, something that is triggering our brain to want access to information, mostly useless information. When I go on Instagram, when I go on Reddit, when I go on Facebook, um, it becomes more of just the action of doing it rather than the actual information that's coming through that like you end up just, at least for me too, I just end up scrolling. I'm not actually looking at anything and I have to stop myself and be like, okay, this is a problem. And I think it's, it's how you enjoy the experience. So it's tough for me to say to anybody, stop looking at your phone and stop doing these things and don't do this and don't do that. Um, for me, it's more so how can I just simply accept that this is how life is going? This is what the world and the earth and humanity is, um, is creating and is moving through. And so I would say as long as your needs are met, just generally, you're going to work, you're um, providing for your family, you're providing for yourself. Having something like a cell phone with social media offers um, a view into the world that we've never had before. So I think if we're just starting from that place of just appreciation that like I can open this phone and I can have access to information that then it's my responsibility to use it in a way that's going to be helpful to me first, because that's the first interface, right? It's coming at me. And then how am I going to be helpful to the people around me? And, and so I think when it comes to the curators of this information, so it would be um, like Hollywood and coming out with all the movies that they come out with um, streaming platforms, the news agencies, the social media platforms themselves, you want to have a keenness in your mind to look at that information and to know generally to some degree, and it, this can like kind of stretch into the world of conspiracy, right? Why are they doing this? Why do I have this? Why is this thing existing? Why are these platforms there? Why are there people at the helm of putting this information out towards me? And so you can then decide then right there, am I only going to be a consumer 
or am I going to use this thing to be a creator as well? Because if they're putting content out and it's shaping my psychology, shaping the way that I think, say if I watch a news report and there's news about Israel and Palestine, there's news about uh, Ukraine and Russia, there's news about Donald Trump, there's news about this and that and this and that, why are they making all that, right? And so now as just a sovereign person of myself, and I have this technology as well, what do I want to stream into there to then show the world who I am and what my beliefs are and what my thoughts are? Um, and it's at that point, there's a clear defining moment of what your mission is. And so for the majority of people, they don't have that mission. They don't want to create content. They don't care. You look through 80%, I would say even 90% of the social media accounts, they barely post. They're not doing anything. They're just scrolling. They're just consuming, 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 and consuming. And you, you won't, we won't stop that. There's really, it's at a precipice now where you see Facebook has billions of users. It has a critical mass and a momentum that an individual, like there's absolutely no way of diverting that. And so now as someone that has access to this technology, the thing that you can divert is whether or not that content is going to be emotionally impacting. And I think that's the one thing that meditation and yoga does beautifully is that gets you to understand that when you're interfacing with the world and you are drawn to react to something that you have a filter and you think to yourself, I don't want to let this impact me. And I'm going to take a few deep breaths. I'm going to connect to my body and connect to myself. And I'm going to be inspired to act differently. And that act differently is simply how you react to the situation. And majority of the people can't do that, right? They're, we're being programmed to basically have a goldfish mind where our attention span is no more than seven or 10 seconds. And so if you're in the grip of that, how are you going to be able to take a moment to take a step back and breathe and think when your mind is now being triggered and conditioned to have a seven to 10 second loop? And so it's going to affect your memory capacity. It's going to affect critical thinking. And that's just sadly where most people are at. And so that loop has a, such a stronghold on them that as as soon as they see something that's triggering, it just bypasses their critical thinking and goes right into reactionary. Boy, I'll tell you, I'd love to think that this is all accidental, that they it's didn't not game. accidental that, for yeah, sure. Not. But, but this is such complicated, so deep into the psychology of sticky applications, trying to make sure that you come back to this site, to make sure that you get that dopamine drip, make sure that you get that, you know, oh, I got a like, I gotta, I gotta follow, I got this. It 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 is psychologically reprogramming us to value certain things opposed to others. When I, you know, when we were kids, you know, it's like there was no such thing as getting a like, you know what I mean? You got picked for the kickball team. Maybe that was in your version. You know, that was, that was the like that you got the, the endorphin high that, Oh yeah, I'm wanted. I'm, I'm valued in this little 
in my school, in my little, my own little social network that I've got going on here. And in that has been replaced by getting validation externally from total strangers that may be even robots. In fact, a vast majority of them aren't even real. And that you're then internalizing this uh, approval or lack of approval from these people that you don't know. And that is impacting the way you view yourself. Oh my goodness. I mean, this is a, this is a diabolical system that they've created with the, with regard to social media in, in particular. And, um, and I, it doesn't, like you said, with with the critical mass that they've got now, the billions of of users, it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. So, look, what are we going to do? Are we going to try and stop the punch with our fist, or are we going to move ourselves out of the way and divert that punch where we want it, so that it doesn't hit us square in the face, and maybe we can diverted into a brick wall. We're going to be back on the other side of the break with more. This is the Charlie Robinson show on TNT radio. You should hear what Patrick Henningsen's talking about. So all the Israelis are really escalating air attacks and bombing attacks uh, to a degree that we haven't even seen before. Why this escalation? Why is it happening right now? This is a big problem. And this has been going on now for four weeks, ladies and gentlemen. And still no calls for a ceasefire, no definitive or categorical calls anyway from the U.S. leadership, from those who, from the onset, let's face it, they were backing this military action by Israel uh, on the Gaza Strip. And everybody thought, well, how bad could it be? How long could it go? Here we are a month later we're still here we're still talking to you we're still reporting this and another hospital was uh, hit last night as well well over 30 medical facilities and hospitals have been uh, hit and uh, taken out of action in some cases pulverized by the israeli occupation forces or the idf as it's uh, widely known patrick henningson on today's news talk tnt radio the lights is britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies no, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk It sounds pretty good. It's it like, sounds real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We are back with Zornanda. We're talking about... Uh, we're talking about meditation. We're talking about soul evolution. We're talking about things that normally don't get a lot of discussion on talk radio, but I think it's important. And I'll tell you... Back in 2007, I had I was getting ready to go on a, a a trip to Thailand, and this is I'm going to lead up to where you where you spent time. And during the, right in the beginning, before I left for this trip, a buddy of mine gave me a book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins, right? And I read that book, and I, it really opened my mind to the, the 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 global banking cabals and the World Bank and all that. And and I was in this beautiful place, Thailand, you know, and you and and I was having this epiphany, and I was just like, "Whoa, this is I'm never going to forget like this red pilling moment for me." You spent a lot of time in Thailand and India. How did that come about? Can you give us a little bit of a background on on what that period of your life was like? 
Yeah, it's it was quite a journey. Um, it mainly involved two individuals that were teaching yoga out of my apartment um, back in 2011. Um, and it was essentially the beginning of my yoga practice and the beginning of me entering into the yoga world. Um, I had already just a few years of practicing meditation and getting into the world of the occult and new age, uh, spirituality. Um, I just felt that something was missing. And at that time, yoga was essentially booming in Edmonton where I'm from in Edmonton or in, uh, Alberta. And, um, and so a good friend of mine was uh, a good childhood friend, um, was trying to get me to go to more and more yoga classes. And, um, and so I ended up meeting this couple who uh, were teaching uh, yoga a little bit differently. And at that time, I was really studying the chakras and the energetic systems. And I just kind of got to this plateau in my learning of not really being able to find um, really anything authentic on the internet. So you can imagine back in like 2000, yes, 2007 to 2010, this is uh, social media in its infancy. And really there is a dependency more so on websites and finding your information on particular websites. And so I finally got the opportunity to learn what I thought were the more authentic view of the chakras and, and, and yoga from these two teachers. And so it was in December of 2011, where they decided that they're going back to Thailand to uh, teach and uh, continue at their school, uh, which is the Agama Yoga School on Kopengan, Thailand. And so it was right in that moment that I just decided that I was going to go. And I remember my teacher, Asaf, actually asked me, he's like, oh, that's great. Do you have money saved up? Because this is going to be an expensive trip, right? And I had zero dollars. And I just told him, I was like, no, but I'm going to figure it out. And I remember getting a call two weeks later from my dad telling me, hey, we got this job uh, putting up this like metal siding on, the, on a hotel. And it was just boom, right there whole trip paid for in that one job. And so it was, um, then may the following year. So 2012 is when I went to Thailand the first time for two months, uh, particularly to, um, meet up with the soft who was there and to continue learning this Agama yoga style, um, teaching. And, that trip just completely cracked me open. It was the first time in my life where I really felt what peace was. I remember just being in my bungalow in the middle of the jungle, looking out, being surrounded by nature and breathing and thinking to myself, I am the most peaceful I've ever been in my life. And there's no trying, right? There's no like, I'm having a chaotic experience and I need peace. It's two months of complete, uh, surrender into it. It was amazing. Yeah. I did. There's something magical about Thailand too. You know, mm -hmm. the people there, like just the culture. I remember before, before going, I, like reading about the people and reading about the, how they how they respond. And it's a very, um, you know, you don't want to be the, 
the lunatic American down at the front desk shouting at the registration people or anything like that, they would think that you had lost your mind. You know what I mean? It's just a very, like I found myself chilling out just by being around the Thai people. They were so warm and welcoming and beautiful. And and when I went there, I I went to Phuket and I was there, you know, which is a very touristy spot, but but I was there in the aftermath of the tsunami. And so I was having conversations with people there. I was talking, hey, tell me what it was like. You know, tell me what they listen. I mean, it was it was horrible. So so it, it might, you know, we lost members of our family. And, and I would talk to a lot of the different people there. Um, did you have that experience when you were in Thailand that you had you felt like a connection to like that those people were 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 just on a different kind of level? <laughs> yeah, I would say especially on Copenhagen on the island. Um, I noticed right away that um, the locals were super relaxed and they were just really operating at a much slower pace than the rest of the world. Um, and I think there's, there'd be a, there's a pretty big difference between like, like Bangkok and Copenhagen, like Bangkok is a huge city. You know, there's like, I think there's like 20 million people or something. And, um, and so I noticed coming out of Bangkok that um, going to the island that the people were um, much different on the island. And I found that just, you know, being a foreigner and, and uh, being a tourist that I was treated differently as well. So saying like in Bangkok, no one really wanted to give me the time of day, but they weren't like mean. It's just like, you know, people are going and, and living their lives and doing their thing. And when I came down to the island, um, the locals were much friendlier and much more open to having conversations. And um, it was really nice. It was actually pretty refreshing because um, I had pretty much the opposite experience in in India. <laughs> yeah, that's so, what I was going to say. I was going to say, how is, how is India in comparison to... Um, uh thailand if in both aspects and that from the meditation yeah. standpoint and also just the the cultural side yeah i found um because specifically on copenhagen there's a lot of expats and there's um a pretty big integration of the western world and just westerners in general there's a lot of people from germany and austria and like and and europe that come to copenhagen and so a lot of the locals um they are familiar with english first of all and so the um uh how would i say it um the language barrier isn't really there you can i can go into restaurants and i can talk with um some of the locals at a basic level um and what i found the huge difference between india and thailand especially on that island um is that i felt that when i spoke to the locals on copenhagen there was a genuine interest to actually like conversate and just have a light-hearted conversation where in india where i spent um most of my time in rishikesh um the the locals more so have a script and a lot of the times they want you to buy something. And so if you were to go around and kind of talk to some of the locals on the street, the conversation will quickly turn to them wanting you to buy something. So then it immediately tells me that they're not really understanding what I'm saying. They're just wanting the interaction for me to go, oh yeah, I'll buy that. And then that's it, right? So, you know, um, the two times that I went 
uh, to India, I found that going around the city by myself, going around Rishikesh, um, specifically Tapavan, um, it gets kind of frustrating because there's a point where I want to just sit down and talk with someone or be on the street and have just like an easy little conversation that it would just quickly turn to, Oh, buy this thing. Oh, you should come here. I have, you know what I mean? Like, um, and so I just, I noticed that pretty quickly. Um, when I went to Thailand first and then I went to India, um, afterwards that I was like, Oh man. Yeah. In Copenhagen, the locals are so much more relaxed. And, um, a big part of that, um, specifically is that the island Copenhagen means Island of spirits. So that's what Copenhagen translates okay. to. And it was first founded by the Buddhists. And, um, after a while, the Buddhists then agreed to allow locals to come to the Island and settle. And so the original, families that are still there they own a lot of the land and so a lot of the development that's going on are from these locals and so a lot of their lives are really chill because they own their land they own several bungalows they're making good money and they own restaurants and and uh like tourist attractions and stuff like that and so their life is pretty much taken care of for and they don't really have to do much other than you know operate their business at a you know pretty steady pace so i just found that like the general happiness of the place was pretty noticeable and then you go to india and it's just pure chaos <laughs> in in like <laughs> such a beautiful way but it's just there's so much happening everywhere all at once and uh and there's similarities, say if you're like in Bangkok or in New Delhi, you know, like there's just, they're big cities and there's so many people and the chaos is absurd or the traffic is absurd and, and chaotic, yeah. you know, you know, if you're living here in the West, like in a grid city where every intersection has lights or roundabouts and everything's just orderly. And then you go to India, you just have a panic attack. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It does. It does. It looks like, but, but, but then again, a perfect need to incorporate yoga practices, meditations and everything in order to not have the chaos of just the reality of, of being in India uh, overwhelm you. Did you, uh, did, so it, there's different styles of what, what, where you were in, in Thailand and then in India, were you picking up different, um, well, I don't know, different dialects of yoga, different practices there. Is it, is there, I don't know a ton about yoga, but I, I know that there are, there's different ways to do it. So were you getting a little bit more well-rounded by going to these different places and picking up their styles? Yeah. So, um, what happened for me personally is I found two different schools of yoga, um, Agama yoga and Akanda yoga. And they're both head by, um, interesting individuals. Um, and, um, I was on a path of finding particularly a teacher. So someone that I see and revere as a yoga master and someone that I know for a good portion of my life, if not for the rest of my life, uh, or the rest of their life, um, can be a guide for me in my own journey of, of yoga, right? Because um, it's something that I'm initiated in um, in pretty in depth, and so um, it's to me a lifelong endeavor. And so 
my pursuit was to find the most authentic kind of school that at least for me personally, I can find. And so Agama and Akanda both came into my life in the same year. So in 2011, and I went on this journey over the next six years, I would say from 2012 to 2018 in really getting to know the, the, the head teachers. So the head creator of Agama is this, uh, man named it's just a wordy name uh swami vivekananda saraswati um he's actually a romanian na man named narciss um and so it's really interesting he's just like really big romanian man and then the founder of akanda um again another wordy name uh his name is yogarishi vishvaketu um and the interesting thing is they actually knew each other. They, in Rishikesh, they went to the same Gudakal yoga school. Um, but Narciss or Swami Vivekananda was a problematic person. Um, he took the direction of Tantra yoga and um, overt um, like sexual practices where Yogarishi Vishwaketu grew up in India, in Northern India. He, um, started yoga when he was eight years old. His, um, uncle has his own kind of good call yoga school that he attended. And so Vishaji, um, went the traditional route and the like Himalayan yogi route. And so he has his PhD in yoga and, um, he has this amazing school. And so basically what I was shown on my path is that, um, I can't basically follow both teachers and it led up to a particular reason that between the two of them, um, Narciss or Swami Vivekananda was the more problematic one, um, where he was accused in 2018 for sexually assaulting 32 different women. And, um, and so when I went there in 2016, um, from a second time, I saw everything crumbling around and I had a really good friend who's, uh, the manager of the reception area. Her name, her name is Sarah. And she basically told me everything that was going on. And so that informed me very well in a moment that I have a choice to make. Do I continue following this yoga school that suddenly I, I find out that is completely problematic, um, in so many ways? Or do I follow this really, truly authentic yogi um, and yoga master from the Himalayas? And so I made a very quick decision that I would just completely drop a gamma and I would go for a come to yoga, uh, which now I'm like, um, I've done over a thousand hours of training with um, Vishuji and um, have done many other things. And so um, I think it's really important to investigate what you're getting into is essentially what I'm saying is that it's very easy to look at someone and see how great they are because they present themselves as such a powerful person in some way, but you want to really learn from as many people as possible, what their character is like. And so, um, I was able to do that and make a very solid decision that Vishuji is much more um, of a 
benefit in my life than this other person. Yeah. Yeah, that's a look. I've got a I've got a friend, a fellow Edmonton in Edmontonian, um, who I oh, think really? some people would ca- call a problematic guy, Jeff Berwick. Not in the sexual assault sort of way, but just in a he's a he's kind of a pain in the ass to the to the empire and to the establishment. And he puts on uh, he and I wrote a book together, but he also puts on a an event in Acapulco, Mexico, every year called Anarchapulco, the largest anarchist conference in the world and there's anarchy and there's there's components of that and that's definitely one leg of the stool but not all of them and and i went down there in 2019 and 2020 and and i'll be hosting and uh emceeing the event this year or this this coming year in in 2024 but while i was down there the first two times, I had the option to add on a little a la carte item to my experience. And that was the ayahuasca ceremonies. And I got a chance to meet Jeff Berwick's, uh, you know, the, the, the shaman that he brought in was somebody that he had done a lot of work with over the years. And, and I got a chance to, to meet them and I, and I was able to participate in this really well done ayahuasca ceremony that took me to the edge of reality. Now I have experience with psychedelics. I've always been in favor of them in the right circumstances and with the right amount of respect. And, and, and I, you know, it's not, let's go eat mushrooms and go, you know, to a concert and trip out and, you know, it's more, I, I was always a little bit more, I don't know. It was more of an introspective trip for me. I got a chance to try ayahuasca and boy, I'll tell you, that was that was heavy. Your experience in this, do these integrate well with one another, the yoga practices, the ayahuasca, or is this something that uh, that can interfere with your... How do you view this, uh, these two things working together? Yeah. Um, so typically in my, in my experience, um, I've always found with psychedelics, I'm also somewhat of a psychonaut where, you know, I'll at least, uh, and I like to kind of span it out over time, like at least maybe once a year or so. But, um, I found that, um, having a yoga practice and having a spiritual practice, uh, was a great preparation for the experience. So say if there's an intensive meditation that you're doing, you know, day in and day out, or as, as often as you can, that it'll kind of bleed through into the experience. And, and so I've had many mushroom trips or acid trips, um, where, I'm able to do things that I would never, I would typically not be able to do my yoga practice. So like, say for example, I have a, a practice where I exhale my everything out. So I t- get rid of all the air. Then I suction my stomach in and up and I'm holding my breath and I'm creating this kind of vacuum in this suction and it's very uncomfortable. Um, but I typically can hold it up to about a minute, but then when I'm on a psychedelic, it's like, it's so comfortable and I can hold it for almost forever. And I have to remind myself that I'm doing it and then I have to like come out of it. Um, so there's, there's a way that, um, this, the, the psychedelic can enter you into, um, a new way of experiencing the yoga practice. But 
on ayahuasca, it was very different. Um, I had a very intense, terrifying experience that was very colorful and beautiful. It was so counterintuitive to what I would normally have as an experience. But if, if I do acid or if I do MDMA or, um, or mushrooms, I can usually handle myself and I can see the geometry that's happening and the movement and the waves and I can breathe through it. And then, you know, uh, kind of get past the, um, kind of terrifying aspect of it. But with, um, ayahuasca, the terrifying feeling was so strong. And, um, I remember I had this particular, um, geometric shape in my vision, um, it's called the Sri Yantra. I don't know if you know what the Sri Yantra is. No. Um, it's, um, it's a very particular, um, it's used in Buddhism a lot and in yoga. And I'm seeing this sacred geometry and I'm going through this terrible, terrifying experience just, and, and it's not really what I'm seeing. Cause what I'm seeing is all this like oscillation of this beautiful colors and geometry, but it's just how the medicine is running through my body. Right. And it's just what it's doing to my senses and what it's doing to my nervous system. And I think to myself, oh, I can just call in my yoga masters and I can start, you know, like chanting and, and doing my mantra work. So I start chanting and I start calling my yoga masters and I'm looking at the center of the shape and ayahuasca, like grandmother ayahuasca comes in and she's laughing at me and she's going, that won't work here. You do that when oh. you're sober, that doesn't work here. I have you. And it was <laughs> so confronting. And, wow. um, and so she was just like, stop, it's not going to work. Just, uh, um, what would you say? Just watch, you know, all you're here to do is just observe. And so she started to guide me on watching the waves that I was going through. And so I got to be, in this um kind of in the passenger seat of it she's like this trip for you isn't meant for you to go anywhere you're not going into that geometry you're not going into the darkness because i would look down in my mind and i would see this like sea of just thick darkness and um and she's like you're not going down there you're gonna be here with me i'm gonna keep you safe it's gonna be terrifying because of how i'm integrating moving through you but just watch watch the waves watch the movement, watch the scenes of all the weirdness and the beasts and the um, realities that you're seeing. And it was more so in that point, like educational for me, like she was teaching me um, how this realm, you know, that we call ayahuasca works. At that, listen, for people that have never done it before, you, they're ready to fit you for a straight jacket. But I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I have been, I have been, uh, when you mentioned the, the, the waves, the up and the down, I, I saw it for myself. I watched how music played a role in this when in during my yeah. ceremony they were there was this these these women that were singing and playing gently playing guitar and it was oh it was very good and that was oh we have like 30 minutes 20 minutes of that <clears throat> and then here comes the aggressive chanting and the the heavy drum music and you could feel the whole room take a turn energetically and here comes the barf you know and everybody's throwing up and it was like i why i felt it 
I watched it. I got to the point, there was a point towards the tail end of my session where I just started laughing because I was like, here it comes again. You know, I could, I could feel, I could feel it turn in the, in the room. And the power of that is not to be dis, if you dismiss it at your own peril. These things are very real. We're going to be back with a final segment of the Charlie Robinson show after this. This is TNT radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by 1 million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade both of which feature transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families. And customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. You have the power of information. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We are back for a final segment of the Charlie Robinson show with Zornanda. Uh, where's the best place for people to find you, to support your work or to follow what you're doing? Yeah, so you can check out my website. It is just uh, Um, That's where you'll find um, my music, my book, um, and um, my meditations. Um, I would say um, you can find my book way quicker and easier just on Amazon. Uh, it's Future Life Progression, Meeting Your Future Self. Uh, and then on social media, um, uh, Yogi Zorananda and uh, Zorananda.music. Um, and I 
basically operate out of, I would say, um, Instagram the most, uh, and my website. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, sorry, lastly, um, yeah. And I'm a musician as well. Um, just releasing singles from my rock album. Um, so you can get it on Spotify and iTunes again, Zoranunda, just look up Zoranunda. Um, and lastly, my podcast, the yoga connection, um, which I'll be uploading some more episodes right away too. Awesome. I gotta ask you, can we, in this last segment, I know we've only got eight minutes or so, how to contact your future self. I mean, you yeah, want to talk about it. That is a great, <laughs> I mean, that, that like, right. Just thinking of that, it like is brain breaking, you know, can we elaborate on what that is and how we can maybe even do it? Yeah. Um, so I think it's something that we're doing all the time, whether we really want to view it that way. Um, and, uh, so it's essentially understanding that um, we have a relationship with ourselves through time. Um, and so the way that I like to think about it is if you were to think about your, so let's say 12 year old self, right? And right now you can remember um, a moment when you were 12 years old, whatever that moment is, right? And we can, through our imagination, we can look back at our 12 year old self and we can have a kind of conversation with that self. So we can be sending this kind of energy. And it, it sounds really, really hippie and really moo moo, but um, within our mind, we can look at, say, uh, a kind of I wouldn't say traumatic experience, but maybe an experience that we didn't like and that we wanted to change. And so we can kind of talk to that version of ourself and we can talk to that past self and um, we can feel different about it suddenly in the moment, right? So say if there was a moment in school that you're being bullied and you really wanted to fight back, but in that moment when you were 12, you didn't, you got beat up, right? And so that's carried out through your life until right now. And then you still kind of carry that feeling of resentment. You still kind of carry that feeling of anxiety or that um, regret of not doing that thing. And so it'll start to seep into your world today. And then you'll have these little moments where you'll cower at things that you really shouldn't cower towards. And so you can look back at that moment and you can, in your mind, you can change the scenario. And you can change how you talk to yourself about that, right? And you can feel better in the moment. So you can feel, you know what? I don't have to be cowardly like that. I don't have to be resentful like that. That moment happened, but I can kind of change it in my mind, okay? So if that's happening, you're looking back, your future self is doing the same thing right now. So there's this moment right now. This is where I'm going to trip people out. Right now, you are going to remember this moment next week or in two months or next year. You're going to think to yourself at some point, oh, yeah, I listened to that Charlie Robinson show with that guy Zorananda, and you're going to start remembering, and it's happening right now. Your future self is remembering this moment. And so the way that we tap into that is not through the logic of our brain and we try to reason it. It's actually through our heart that the electromagnetic pulse is timeless and spaceless. We don't see it. 
it's operating and it's all around us. The heart is beating and it's scientifically known that there is an electric magnetic pulse that's being made. That pulse interacts with every heartbeat from now until you're dead. And so that heartbeat and that pulse is interacting with you in a year from now, and they're communicating to each other. And so right now you can receive information from that. And it's just the same way as if I'm going to look back at my 12 year old self and I'm going to share new information with that 12 year old self. The thing about it is that we have belief systems and filters that block us from thinking that this is really a legit thing. And it's not up to anyone else outside of ourselves. It's up to you inside yourself. So inside me, when I think about my 12 year old self and I now through my way of thinking, I talk to my 12 year old self. My 12-year-old self is hearing that. My 12-year-old self is picking up through that, through the heart. And so when I think, okay, I have my 60-year-old self is trying to talk to me right now. What is my 60-year-old self telling me? And it's all through this vibration and this impact of the heart. And the deeper you go into it and the more you can sit with it, the more information comes in and you can make a relationship. You can actually make a connection with your different selves, different timelines. So say if you're working on something to be successful and you want to make more money, right? That's a big thing right now. Social media is huge on becoming like this millionaire in a day. So there's a version of yourself in two years, five years, 10 years that's living like that, that has the awesome house, that has the dope cars, that has the perfect partner, that's trapped, that's doing all the things that you want to do. But you're not it right now. So how do you do that? So instead of trying to think your way into it and trying to stress yourself out into it, you connect into your heart with it because it's that version of you's heart that has all that information. And so wow. you connect into your heart, you open yourself up and you say, I want to communicate with the most successful version. And the thing is, it's going to be step by step. You're not going to all of a sudden get access to that. They're going to say, no, 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 no. You need to work for it. So then you go step by step. Okay. The most successful version of myself, the most successful version of myself. And then you start to get insights. You start to get creative. You start to get ideas and you go, oh yeah, I totally have this skill or I totally have this thing I can do. I work in a wood shop. I can totally start making things out of these, you know, all of a sudden the ideas start coming through. That's not from you now. That's from you in the future already doing it. And they're thinking back to you now going, oh, yeah, I remember when I was first having. So it's it's all interconnected. The heart has it all. And um, that's the bulk of it. <laughs> the book is available on Amazon, Future Life Progression, How to Contact Your Future Self. I mean, hey, listen, if you think that we we are very dismissive of stuff like this in the Western world, we're very, we're very quick to... To shit on these ideas and say, oh, that's airy fairy stuff. That would never happen. Well, listen, I've had experiences where I can't explain them. I've had uh, meditative instances where I felt totally different. I've had psychedelic experiences. If you think that all we are is the five senses, boy, we are selling ourselves tremendously short. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming to the show and for so explaining welcome. to us how it works. And for those of you out there that are interested in connecting with Zoranada, please do buy his book, support his work. This is the last Saturday show of the Charlie Robinson show 
Starting on the 27th, I'll be moving to Monday through Friday, so uh, you'll get more of me whether you like it or not. You're stuck with me. If you want to connect with me, the website, The Octopus of Global Control. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in a couple weeks.